Welcome to the Fairy Podcast, episode number 10. This is just a quick listener note before we get the show underway. If you hang around till the very end of the show, there's a small soundbite that you may find interesting. We've never had any recording problems in the past, but during a section where we were talking about the men in black and the possibility of time slips, the audio at my end went particularly strange. And at the same time, Fiona also experienced some technical difficulties at her end. Was it a coincidence? Have a listen at the very end of the show and you decide. That being said, let's get on with the show. Up the airy mountain, down the rushing glen, we dare not go a-hunting for fear of little men. Do other races exist just beyond the boundaries of humankind? Legends of their existence persist across many cultures. So what are these creatures? Beings of myth and magic? Guardians of nature? Or malign entities from darkest folklore? Join your guides Dan Baines and Fiona Marr in their quest for the truth. Welcome to the Fairy Podcast, episode number 10. I'm Dan Baines and I'm joined by my co-host, Fiona Marr. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. And yourself? Yes, I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be back on air. And um, this show is quite, quite a special show because anyone who's been watching the news will know that on the 25th of June, the US government are going to release or at least try and convince us that there is something out there that is unexplainable by way of a ufo or a uap report so this show is going to be loosely around the connection between fairy folklore and dare i say it ufo folklore because ufos do in fact go much further back than roswell yes i have a story um which i'll be speaking about soon um, which goes back to 1758, um, and it has been reported as potentially the first UFO abduction attempt, but I think lots and lots have taken place over the years. And it's weird, this connection that people have with fairies and UFOs in the, the folklore, I'll use that word as well, the folklore surrounding them, because it's always to do with lost time and abduction. So you might have somebody back in an old folk story who either goes to sleep on a fairy hill or gets invited inside to this wonderful party where they eat and drink and they leave the next morning thinking they've been gone one night only to find either hours or days or even decades have passed. And it's exactly the same story as told, you know, some poor chap on a lonely back road and his car engine might start playing up, then there's a light in the sky. He could then be aware of the UFO and before it's, you know, even started his adventures over. And it's only when he gets home, he discovers there might be up to five hours missing. And that was the story of that couple in America, which I think was the first UFO abduction story I ever became aware of. Yeah, that would be Betty and Barney Hill. So that was a very well-documented abduction case. 
They, ex- they claim they were abducted by extraterrestrials in New Hampshire in America. And it was kind of like an overnight thing. Uh, it was in September 1961. I think something like the 19th to the 20th. So that was a considerably significant amount of time that mm. they were missing. It was, yeah. I mean, the, there's so many close relationships between fairy folklore and the modern UFO phenomena. And you know, as you say, um, missing time, abduction, and also just the sightings and the, the close relation to how you describe how people have seen aliens and fairies. And if you were to put them side by side, there are yeah. so many different fairy races and so many different types of alien race that you could almost cross match them and yeah. match them exactly with, you know, like the greys, for example. Yeah, well, I do this in my book, The Last Changing. I, I say, you know, perhaps the grey folk merely transmuted to the greys. And the big thing they've got in common there are the slanted eyes. That's a real thing. But also there seems to be um, a race of aliens that are very like gnomes, very strange little creatures. And that kind of brings me on to this story, which again, I quote in my book, but I will read the actual thing here. Um, it's from Elias Owen's Welsh Folklore. And uh, this, this chap, he was Reverend Dr. Edward Williams, who was born in 1750. Um, he studied law, which means obviously he had that kind of analytical mind, but he became a, a nonconformist minister. So there was a bit of a rebellious streak in this guy. However, he, he rose to become incredibly well thought of by the people around him. And he had something to do with, I think it was some sort of a mission to um, destitute seamen in London. Um, these chaps would come back from you know, various wars and things. And of course, there was no kind of military pension then. And his charity that he set up in London looked after them. So really in Wales and in London, this chap had a tremendous reputation, which to me makes it all the more extraordinary that he would tell a story like this. Because remember, this was back in a time when if you said something outrageous, you were possibly quite likely to be labelled mad. And while now people shrug it off, in those days, you could be locked up. You would certainly lose face. You would lose um, the support of the people around you. So by sharing this story, he wasn't just risking, you know, the bubble reputation. He was potentially risking his livelihood later in life. Of course, it's in the same way as well with pilots today. If they were to yes. see something, you know, well, not not, not so much now, but say um, a few years ago, if a pilot yeah. was to report something, they'd rather not report it for fear of ridicule or potentially losing their job. So they just kept it quiet. Yeah. So so this so we've got this man at a time when, if anything, because let's face it. If a pilot loses his job, he's got the chance of another job. He's got the chance of perhaps some kind of government help if he's completely destitute. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Whereas yeah. this chap, this Reverend Dr. Edward Williams, there were no such safety nets then. So when I say he was risking everything, I absolutely mean he was risking everything. And the story is very, very curious it takes place in a field called Kai Khaled. Now, that's near a Welsh village called Bodvari in North Wales. I'm saying Bodvari because that is the Welsh pronunciation. But if you want to look it up, it's spelled B-O-D-F-A-R-I. 
And the field is still there called Kai Khaled, which is C-A-E, new word, C-A-L-E-D. So this is the story as told by the Reverend Dr. Edward Williams in his own words. And it goes like this. On a fine summer day, about midsummer, between the hours of 12 at noon and 1, my eldest sister and myself, our neighbours' children, Barbara and Anne Evans, both older than myself, were in a field called Kai Khaled, near their house, all innocently engaged at play, by a hedge, under a tree, and not far from the stile next to the house, when one of us observed on the middle of the field a company of, what shall I call them, beings, neither men nor women nor children, dancing with great briskness. They were in full view, less than a hundred yards from us, consisting about seven or eight couples. We could not well reckon them, reckon them owing to the briskness of their motions and the consternation by which we were, the, were struck at a sight so unusual. They were all clothed in red, a dress not unlike military uniform, without hats, but their heads tied with handkerchiefs of a reddish colour, sprigged or spotted with yellow, all uniform in this, as in habit, all tied behind with the corners hanging down their backs and white handkerchiefs in their hands held loose by the corners. They appeared of a size somewhat less than our own, but more like dwarves than children. On the first discovery, we began, with no small dread, to question one another as to what they could be, as there were no soldiers in the country, nor was it the time for May dancers, and as they differed much from all the human beings we'd ever seen. Thus alarmed, we dropped our play, left our station and made for the style. Still keeping our eyes upon them, we observed one of their companies starting from the rest and making towards us with a running pace. I, being the youngest, was the last at the style, and though struck with an inexpressible panic, saw the grim elf just at my heels, having a full and clear, though terrific view of him, with his ancient, swarthy and grim complexion. I screamed out exceedingly, my sister also. Our companions set up a roar, and the former dragged me with violence over the stile, on which at the instant I was disengaged from it. This warlike Lilliputian leaned and stretched himself after me, but came not over. With palpitating hearts and loud cries, we ran toward the house, alarmed the family, and told them our trouble. The men instantly left their dinner, with whom, still trembling, we went to the place and made the most solicitous and diligent inquiry in all the neighbourhood, both at that time and after, but never found the least vestige of any circumstance that could contribute to a solution of this remarkable phenomenon. So both Elias Owen and Williams, who's the man who it happened to when he was a little boy of about eight, made comment on the truth of the experience and both attempted a rational explanation, but neither of them, you know, could, could come up with an answer. And Williams, writing in, in, you know, years later, he said, though I have often in mature age called to my mind the principles of religion and philosophy to account for it, I'm forced to class it among my unknowables. There is something in the desire to look for rational truth which makes the tale that much more beguiling. So I think that's brilliant. So 
I put it in my book with the idea of saying it was a fairy encounter, but I put the twist on it because I had a character who was interested in UFOs. So I thought, right, okay, so I'm going to say maybe this person thinks it could be an abduction attempt. Anyway, it was only after I wrote the book, I looked up and I found there was actually um, a website which said, was this an early UFO abduction attempt, which I think is incredible. But yeah, there you go. A very, very odd story. It is. It's so vivid and descriptive that you just listening to it, you know, it's genuine. You know, it's not a, a, a piece of fiction that's been written. It's said with such conviction. Yeah. The headdress. Actually, I, I figured out because it says it's tied with handkerchiefs. It's more like something a pharaoh would wear because they say it hangs down the back. Yeah. So you've, you imagine something like that. So, or, or sort of even an Arab style headdress, but it's an idea. I see something squared off and that's why he's saying handkerchief square over the brow and then square at the sides, hanging down the back. Interesting that he drew the parallel with military uniform as well. That yeah, was, that is odd because, I mean, yeah. you know, there are a lot of um, UFO abduction stories about creatures who do wear a form of what we would describe as a uniform. And I also wonder, were they actually dancing? Because he talks about the movement that they couldn't actually count them because they were moving so fast. Mm. So it makes me wonder what they were doing. The idea of the red with with sprigged or spotted with yellow that's kind of okay it'd be better if it was white because that would be like amanita muscaria you know the the classic fairy toadstool but yeah. i think that's really interesting i still think of toadstools when i think of red with dots on you know so yeah. it's just it is to me this is absolutely halfway between fairies and aliens it's a really, really, it's a very odd little story, isn't it? With these old descriptions of fairy folk, mm-hmm. the fact that they are so descriptive and they're so different from any other type of humanoid that was around. I mean, nowadays we have so many modern references to go by, you know, films and books and yes, cartoons. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. In those days, there wasn't anything like that. No. So if you saw something that was so strange and out of the ordinary you had no way of comparing it with anything else you've ever seen before yeah which is um there's that there's a special term for it which i'm sorry i've forgotten um allegedly islanders when when the huge ships turned up you know sort of in the 15th century they couldn't see them i've heard the story told before and um so you'd have spaniards portuguese english people whatever disembarking in small rowing boats and and when they could communicate, um, you, you'd you know they they'd be asked where did you come from? You know you can't have come across the ocean in such a tiny boat. Well, no, we've come from that boat over there, that bigger boat. What bigger boat? And apparently, it was really well documented that because they had no frame of reference, they couldn't actually see them, which is just an extraordinary idea. It is. Um, I don't know if it's true, but it's it's I've certainly heard it so many times. It does make me wonder. You know, and it's supposedly why memory only seems to kick into play at age three to four, because that's the only time we have words to describe things. You know, before that, we haven't got anything to um, to really, we haven't got any descriptors. We're not, we don't understand how to say how we're feeling other than by crying or laughing as babies. But, but obviously you're taking in all the sights and sounds all the time. 
whilst your brain is furiously trying to figure out what they actually mean because it's floating in a, you know, a sea of non-context, if you like. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, when I had my experience, when I was probably around the age of five that I've spoken about on previous shows, they have the exact description of what would be described as the Nordic type of alien. Yeah. So humanoids, you know, stereotypically like Nordic features. So they're tall, blonde hair, blue eyes. But at the time, at the age of five, I really not had any exposure to aliens and UFOs. But mm. in the same instance, I've not really had any exposure to fairies. But I knew deep within myself that what it was that I was interacting with was not human. Yeah. But I was drawn more towards fairies for some unknown reason, even though as I grew older, you know, I watched E.T. and like every kid in the 80s, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The 80s really was like the dawning of the, the alien type of movie. But mm-hmm. not once during that period did I think to myself, oh, they were aliens. I still firmly rooted in the fact and still am to this day that what I saw was fairies and not aliens. But equally, there are a race of aliens that perfectly match that race of fairies as well, which makes you think, are they both the same thing? Well, to me, when you said about um, the tall Nordics, immediately I thought of angels. And I well, there is that, that as well, yeah. Yeah, you know. It's, I suppose it, it depends what, what stance. I mean, if you were religious, you would probably say angels. And likewise, if you were a a millennial um you would probably go more towards aliens but as a child of the 70s and 80s um i just was automatically drawn to the fact that they were fairies but did they subconsciously tell me that they were fairies though that's the thing Um, in the same way that some people who are abducted are told that they are interacting with a race from either another planet or another world i mean sometimes they even give away what constellation they're from but it's kind of like classic misinformation, isn't it, almost? But going back to what you were saying about the 70s being the, um, the time of UFO stories, it's cyclical because, of course, you had them in the 50s. It was the big, that was the of birth course. of all. Yeah, know? especially straight after World War II. Um, you know, you had the you know, Roswell and just the development of technology, invention of the, the rocket engine and space flight. And all these types of things. It just seemed to be that whatever it was that happened around the 40s triggered something that made a, that triggered, as I say, an exponential rise in anything UFO related. Mm-hmm. But I mean, going back to the, the UAP reports that's going to be released on the 20, hopefully on the 25th of June. Which would be wonderful. Yeah. It would, but I, I don't know. I, I somehow think that it's going to be very vague and yes. it's still going to leave it completely open. I mean, there's been a few leaks already yeah. and they've already said, we won't rule out that it's extraterrestrials. But then again, we, because we don't know what it is, we can't rule anything out. You know, is it China? Yeah. Is it Russia? Um, but the I was listening to an interview with Nick Pope, who um, used to work for the the, yeah. the uh, Ministry of Defence, essentially like a UFO X-Files yeah. for the Ministry of Defence. What he said was, in this to quote him, he said, it won't be what you think it is. And that kind of got me thinking to the fact that when we think of fairies, we don't think of fairies as extraterrestrial. They're terrestrial beings that kind of coexist with us on this planet. Yeah. What if aliens are exactly the same thing or one of the same? Well, uh, yes, I've been, I have been saying this for years. And I mean, 
particularly you were talking about the Hopkinsville case, you know, the goblins. My first thought when you mentioned that was they almost sound like an alternative race living alongside us rather than because you'll notice that they don't seem to have much technology. It's like the creatures that that um, the Reverend, you know, encountered. They they were they were running. Yes, they were moving very very quickly. They obviously had a different kind of physics to us, or they could move in a way we can't. But it wasn't like they had advanced weaponry to turn on the children. No. Similarly, with this this um, Hopkinsville thing, that the 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 aliens did not, you know, they were fired on for two hours by the the people in the farmhouse and yet they didn't fire back but there is there is a wonderful there's a wonderful theory that um the uh right i will quote it it is plausible if not likely that the aliens were great horned owls oh, and there's some owl. evidence yeah. that the eyewitnesses may have been intoxicated apparently long they, well, they said they were two-thirds of a meter tall these things they kept peering in at windows. Well, actually, I don't think owls would do that. I think they would no. avoid humans at all costs. But they said kind of, it almost sounds like a kind of a completely drunken, mad game of whack-a-mole, that every time one of these little heads popped up, they'd blast at it. And yeah. I honestly do not think, although it's a very amusing idea, I don't think owls would hang around while gunfire's going on, would you? Would any wild bird hang around? Well, no, I mean, you know, you get owls around here and you might see one perched on a fence, but yeah. as soon as you get anywhere near it or shine a light on it, it's off. You know, they're, oh, they're yeah. typically timid creatures. They're not going to start attacking a farmhouse and dodge shotgun pellets. I don't think so. Could the alien and UFO phenomena, as you say, is it misinformation that when people do, yeah. for example, get abducted and say, oh, we're from, you know, this constellation or we're from this planet, is it some form of misdirection? Because yeah. one, of, one of the things that is happening with the, they've changed it from UFO to UAP, so unidentified aerial phenomenon now instead of um, unidentified flying ob objects, because uh, it, it just makes it more acceptable to be discussed yeah. uh, in the government as it could, because you could attribute it to weather phenomenon at the same time, because they just do not know what it is. But when these, um, for example, these, what they call tic tacs these vehicles that they've seen flying around typically around us navy ships like the nimitz yeah. um they actually seem to come out of the ocean not out of the sky yes and there have been some amazing bits of film haven't there recently they have well. yeah so yeah. they do they seem to they seem to be uh trans i think it's called transmedia ships which means they have the the ability to fly through air and water at the same speed. So they're not slowed down by going through through water or air. They just seem to have the consistent speed, whatever they do. Yeah, you've got no, you've got no um, exhaust signature. On yeah, the no craft. heat signature. Part, they cannot figure out what the, you know, how they're moving, no. you know, what the propulsion method is. Um, so they seem to defy physics and have no obvious method of propulsion. Yet, as you say, can just do all these these things, you know. But yeah. again, are these just machines? Does there have to be a biological part of them? Of course not. There could be like a drone, you know, mm. you know a, a type of drone that is just, I mean, it could well be something that has been developed by China or Russia. Yeah. And they're testing it on American warfare, one, to see how their aircraft respond to it, and two, to see how well they're, defense systems react to it 
Um, and it just seems to be the fact that they they don't know how to respond to it and they can't react to it because they're too fast. And it just seems odd that the Americans haven't actually tried to shoot one down at the moment, um, which yeah. makes me think they are stepping very, you know, it's like treading on eggshells because they really do not know what it is. They're very reluctant to open fire on it, you know, just in case it is war of the worlds. <laughs> I mean, also, when we've got clearer film because i remember for years people were saying you know this craft changed shape it seemed to be a big thing 70s and 80s you get these triangular craft which would change shape and become a cigar shape and that was a a very i don't know if you remember the term cigar shape in in uh, terms of ufos yes but basically if you can imagine a delta wing which then flips over and you see it on the side it that's how it turns into a cigar shape you're mm. seeing its profile. Can you imagine that? So you've got you've got yeah. to sort of look. yeah. And of so, course, you had stealth bombers flying around for years. Of course, you did. Knew, of nobody course you did. knew what they were. Yeah. So I think but deep going, inside going back to the biological sort of thing, which almost yeah. brings way back to a way way earlier show about the Bigfoot. Have you heard of the Almas? Yes, I have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You see, again. These little, we've got the little creatures in Bodfari. So I'm playing devil's advocate here. We've got the little creatures in Bodfari, the green goblins in Kentucky. And then you've got these almas all over the uh, Central Asia and apparently Southern Mongolia. And they even go as far up as the Gulf of Finland and the Archangel region. It's extraordinary. And they're supposed to be like mini big feet. They're supposed to have shorter arms. Yeah, (laughs) mini feet. Yeah. Mini feet. (laughs) Four and five and a half feet tall. They're covered in hair and they've got human-like facial features, including a prominent brow ridge and a weak chin. Well, does that not sound a bit like it could be some kind of early hominid? Mm. Could there be a Neanderthal pocket surviving? Well, there has been reports that they do. I mean, the Mongolians are said to still trade with with, with Neanderthals in in the mountains. So yes, we've gone we've gone back in time now rather than forward. Um, there was a, I'm just trying to look up now. There was a very uh, famous Parisian um, acrobat in the 1800s, and she was billed as the world's most ugly woman. And I just cannot recall her name. I'm looking for it. She was pure Neanderthal to look at. Absolutely extraordinary. Uh, if I can find her, I will. I'll come back with you with the name. But there you go. I mean, one of the things you know we've discussed about the similarities between alien abductions and fairy abductions is the whole the missing time or the fact that you've gone away for a certain amount of time, have come back, and you haven't aged at all. And yes. uh, I think that's for me, that was one of the most magical moments at the end of Close Encounters of the Third Kind when they were doing the exchange between the volunteers who were going to go into the spaceship with the aliens and they were exchanging them with the people who they'd previously abducted. And you mm-hmm. had the fighter pilots from World War II walking down the ramp who, you know, were the ones who disappeared, the P 47 pilots, yes. finding that, you know, for the planes from the beginning. And like they 19. haven't aged. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and they haven't aged a single day. Yeah, and that is so. That is such a big part of fairy folklore. The whole missing yes. for X amount of years, and you know, only being away for a fraction of time to come back and find that you know, almost a decade has passed, and you've not aged, but everyone else around you is seven to ten years older. And of course, it it bears out Einstein's theories. It really does. Um, 
and you've got that line, you know, Einstein was right. And somebody else says, yes, he was probably one of them, which I thought was mm. beautiful. <laughs> yeah. um, but yes, I cannot find this lady's name. I will look for it. But she was, there's a wonderful photograph of her in a tutu. And, you know, her body, she looks like a normal woman, but her head, her face in particular, looks exactly like one of those recreations, you know, they do on skulls. And she's an absolutely perfect Neanderthal, the sloping forehead, heavy brow, and that huge, almost like chimpanzee-like gap between the bottom of her nose and the beginning of her top lip. And it's quite extraordinary. So, so certainly, I, I believe she's Neanderthal. You know, mm. there's a weird thing about the bottom of your nose to the space between your bottom of your nose to your top lip. The larger that yeah. is on a female, the more masculine it makes them look. So the longer it is, the longer it is. Yeah. The, the right. bigger the gap yeah. between the base of the nose yeah. and the top lip, the more yeah. masculine a female face will look. And it does. It is. If you look at it. So next time oh. you come across a masculine woman, have a look. And, I will uh, have it. Yes, thank you for that, Dan. I'm just <laughs> You're going to go testing. look in the mirror now, aren't you? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'm using my finger to measure. And the no, tip no, yours is small. You're, yeah. Yours is small. You've got like a, you know, you have got a. Obviously, you have got a feminine face because. Thank you so well, much. One, one, you are female, but it is more. <laughs> it is more female. It's definitely not masculine, but yeah. But yeah, that is an odd thing about that. The, lo the longer that gap, the more masculine a female face will look. Mine is just the tip of my fingertip length index fingertip so there you yeah. go i think that's an, right, old sailor, get... that's an old sailor trick for finding um men dressed as women in bars yeah right measure, measure the did cap. they ever do it the <laughs> other way around because an awful lot of girls dressed as sailors didn't they and took the king shilling uh, they did yeah not when i was in but um <laughs> they, did before, they did before that okay but I think if you go back to what I was talking about with Nick Pope saying, it's not what you think it is. And uh, I really think he's onto something there. And I think, I think we've possibly hit the nail on the head between us in the fact that I don't think whatever it is that is being classed as UFOs and aliens on Earth is extraterrestrial. I believe it's already here. But you are looking at something that is, you're looking at it from a kind of a purely physical point of view. I've always wondered if there's something that somehow they're liminal creatures. They live on the borders between our reality and another kind of reality, you know. Just because we exist in this particular space and time does not mean that we're not coexisting with a lot of other dimensions. So we're know? talking interdimensional yeah. creatures well, I, then. Which would explain the suddenly appearing stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, that suddenly kind of explains almost all cryptid phenomena, doesn't it? So even if yes. you go back to, I mean, we go back to Bigfoot and big cats, they all have this uncanny ability to be there one minute and completely gone the next. So yeah. as if they are almost stepping in and out of our reality. Yeah. Whether intentionally or not, we don't know, but they seem to have that strange ability to do that. However, you know, there has been recorded stories of humans having time slips as well. You know, I think there's a famous one in Liverpool, isn't there, where someone was yes, walking down a street? Shop. Yeah, um, there was a bookshop. They went into the bookshop and came out and everything was different. And they, they, that's quite well documented. It's supposed to be a, a portal on Bold Street. Mm. which is a lovely idea. There was the famous one of the two ladies at Versailles, and they claimed they saw um, Marie Antoinette's attempted escape. So it just sounds really interesting. I, 
the thing that would make me skeptical would be okay, it could be this idea that something so desperate uh, would have somehow imprinted itself upon the place, a bit like stone tapes, you know. But it just seems it's always the big incidents that get recorded. Do you know, it's never, it's never some ordinary person doing something ordinary in their lives, of which there must be a lot more, you know. Yeah. Do you see where yeah, I'm going with this? Yeah, definitely. I mean, what if these, if they are some form of portal or time slip, and they happen all the time, all over the world? Yeah. I was wondering if it's something that could be, or you know, in the future, or looked at as a form of, you know, like with the way we look at weather forecasts, we can tell, we can sort of predict where it's going to rain or where it's going to be windy a few heads, you know, a few, a few days ahead of time. Can we know? Can we? <laughs> well, we can. not, not entirely. I mean, we've got better at it over the years. However, if this was a form of um, an energy which was, a, was prevalent on the planet, could it be measured and maybe predicted where certain time slips or things like this could occur, where things would be seen or, for example, certain creatures would come through and then disappear again or people could almost have a time slip into a different time and then come back again? Is it something as simple as that? That's the holy grail, isn't it? That's what people want, you know. And there are an awful lot of people who wouldn't do it because they want to actually come back again. But having said that, I think there are enough adventurers out there who'd go, yeah, let's give it a go. If I don't yeah. get back, I don't get back. You know, yeah. it takes a specific kind of person to have that, you know, that aptitude. But that would be exactly the same as an astronaut or somebody going to Mars. Yeah, it would be really ironic, though, that if we're searching space, like you say, an astronaut going to Mars and we're, all we're intent on doing is discovering life out there in the universe, only to discover that every single form of life in the universe, we actually coexist with it on Earth. And we were yes. never aware of it at that. We were never, ever aware of it. We were just aware of it in our particular plane of existence. Yes. That is, that's a wonderful idea. That'd be a great idea for a book. It's all there. Um, it's all on our doorstep. We yeah. just... Because we've been focused on the on another goal, i.e. getting to Mars or going to the edge of our solar system. It's actually all here anyway. And this is the well, only place in the whole universe that can be inhabited by anything, which is why they're all here. Absolutely. So hang on a minute. So then could it not be that actual space is an illusion, that distance is an illusion? It's a very solid illusion. And we've got this wonderful idea that you have a beginning, a middle and an end. You have a life you know, have a birth, a life and a death. But so mm. many people have said, well, actually, everything is happening instantaneously. I mean, yeah. it's one of the ideas of physics. And that's when you start thinking, oh, I've got to get my head around this one now. And it's so tough because we use these little chunks of what we perceive as time. Mm. And really, they're infinitesimally small in comparison to the rest of the universe and everything that's going on out there. This, yeah. this long podcast is not even a blink of an eye. It's not even the first flicker of the first neuron thinking about blinking the eye. No. Yes, by comparison with everything else. Yeah. But we're a long way from our original idea. So let's go back to this. We are. We've gone from fairies to quantum that, physics. Yes, we are. <laughs> let's get... The rewind. Why, why now? Not that I'm a skeptic, but why would the American authorities wish to release this now? Why have we had... Planned releases, bits of film from, uh, you know, naval pilots 
of these machines coming out of and going into the water, and as you say, not not slowing down or anything, it just makes me wonder what else is going on. Because I am a terrible cynic, and I'm thinking, is this a case of look over here, while the real point of interest is actually somewhere else? Exactly, some form something of else going in this on. direction. Yeah, is something else going on in UFO world? Is there something else going on that we ought to be keeping our eyes on? I mean, one way I've thought about it is a double bluff. Are the Americans are the Americans perfectly aware of what it is, and is it something that they've developed, which has the ability to fly at hypersonic speeds and go in and out of water and disappear at will? But are we are they pretending that they don't know what it is globally? So then, obviously, this news is going to filter through to places like Russia and China, and Russia and China are going to, going to turn around and go as well. It's definitely not us, and the Americans are like, well, it's definitely not us. So it would give the Americans the ability to use these craft on mm-hmm. the Russians and the Chinese without the Russians and the Chinese thinking it's America, because the Americans have already advertised the fact that they have no idea what it is. That's so if they if yeah. they start using them on the Chinese and the Russians, they are more likely to believe that it is. Yes, not, but hang not on. terrestrial technology. You, um, you, your, your argument has one fatal flaw, which is if you can see it, they certainly can. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there are so many stories about different world governments capturing UFOs and reverse engineering them. There is. Come up with their own versions, you know. Yeah. Well, that is another um, thing. The, you know, Bob Lazar, the chap in the 80s, yes. he came out and said he worked in Area 51. And the, the thing is, he was poo-pooed pretty much straight away. However, some of the technology that he revealed in his interviews is exhibited by these tic-tac craft that are being seen around these Navy ships. Now everyone is going, well, hold on, Bob Lazar spoke about this in the 80s. And here is this type of anti-gravity ship that has no heat signature, no form of propulsion, and it has the ability to sort of slip in and out of time. And that is exactly what he spoke about when he said he was working at Area 51, reverse engineering, crash, cra- uh, crashed. It didn't say really, it didn't say crashed spacecraft. I think he said that there were nine different types of craft and most of them were recovered in archaeological digs. Whoa. So, so they weren't all crashed. They were actually dug out of the ground and discovered yeah. in different locations around the world, which makes it even more mysterious and almost to me points towards the fact that they are possibly terrestrial and not from outer space i mean have they found the 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 test for that is have they ever found elements that are unknown on earth in these these craft so another another thing that bob lazar came up with as well as the fact that he reversed engineered some of these craft um that he talked about an element at 115 uh, back in 1989, and it was only added to the periodic table in 2016. Um, and his description of it is exactly as it is on the periodic table, which is another another strange thing. And it just makes you think, well, is he genuine or isn't he? It seems to be a lot of things coming out now. My story um, is, sim- is simply I did something very, very similar. In my second year of creative writing, uh, that 2016, um, I finished the year and I had to make up a story. And I can't even remember whether we had to use science or not. But I, I um, decided to invent some elements. 
So I invented Frankensteinium, which was wholly man-made and was only discoverable in the residue of an explosion of two exotic elements. And um, it would exist fleetingly. And then I made up, um, what was the other one? Hyderium, which changed its nature by the light of the full moon. Weridium, okay. that was another one that changed by the light of the full moon. But anyway, blow me down, that December. So it was October I submitted my work. That December, and they must have been working on these things for years. It's something like the International Society of Chemists. And they actually said, we found, we found these four new elements so there was unpentium, unseptium, unoptium, and I can't remember what the other one was, because there was a huge drive to name one of them after the colour of magic, um, okay. something to do with Terry Pratchett. But anyway, so so that that's what happened. And then, of course, my lecturer uh, was most surprised because he heard all of this, and it was a, a chap called Ratio Clare, who has since, um, he's become a, Costa Coffee book, book of the Year judge, and he's written some wonderful books. And he just rounded on me and he said, who have you been talking to? And I just said, honestly, coincidence. I said, I don't know where the information came from. I said, it was just a story. And um, he just said, well, I wouldn't believe that. You know, if I was a government agent, I'd be knocking on your door. So I don't know where I got that information from. Hand on heart, I really don't know. Yeah. I just Looking out for the men in black. Yes, I know. Yeah. But isn't that cool? <laughs> Even even in UFO uh, sort of folklore, the Men in Black in fairy fiction, there is the same thing. Like in your books, you know, and in um, Yord Scott, there is a a almost like an underground type of police who are charged with protecting the inan- anonymity of the the fairy folk in the same way as the Men in Black are charged with protecting the well anything to do with aliens basically are they one are they one of the same thing i mean are there i i know that there have been stories in the past of people who've seen things um which are more fairy folklore related who supposedly had knocks on the door from uh, members of the the security services telling them that they shouldn't really be talking about what they're talking about or you know discussing it with anybody yeah so are they are they the same thing is the men in black just a uh, a blanket society or a blanket department that covers everything like that, ranging from aliens to potential fairy encounters. The thing that that kind of bothers me about them being the same, but I can square that circle, is the idea that fairies are seen as of the earth, archaic. They use very basic technology, bows and arrows, you know, really, really basic stuff. Whereas, of course, UFOs, it's all, it's much more sort of almost, it's almost like country folk versus city folk, isn't it? You've suddenly got all this technology going on and everything. However, there is this seeming, this idea that a lot of aliens, um, they're really obsessed with environmental issues. And they're supposedly in the 50s, they were there to tell us not to explode atom bombs. Exactly. Right. And yeah. apparently there's, there's, there's a, a really interesting um, phenomena where um, abductees are forced to watch movies depicting terrible um, or the end of the end of the damage. planet. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's kind of there is a sort of a nature thing going on there and a concern about the survival 
of all the other species on the planet. You this know? almost ties back into what we, well, what I hypothesized previously about if we all, every sort of bizarre, wonderful, you know, cryptid creature that we think lives out in the universe or on the planet, actually, they, you know, we share the planet with them as a whole. And if we are the destructive element of, or the, the destructive race on the planet who threatens to destroy most of it with war and nuclear bombs, it would be in the interest of anyone else who um, yes. shared Use it with it us to make us gateway. aware of it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like having, you know, having the neighbor who, you know, has big bonfires and has a car on bricks in the front garden. It'd be like, you know, you would go around and tell them to sort the <laughs> shit out because they're bringing yeah. the neighborhood down. Yeah. You know, um, so you can all coexist together in harmony. And it would, you know, so you have the, the, you know, as you say, the nature spirit side of fairy folklore, but they also, as you say, share that eco warrior vibe with aliens who are also intent on mm. making sure we don't destroy anything. And there's also the whole, I mean, we can even bring in crop circles, you know, interacting with um, nature and creating these geometric patterns, which. Mm. I believe some of them are genuine, but I would say the majority of them aren't. But there are some in some fields that just, you know, in certain types of crops that would be almost impossible to produce. And haven't they taken Geiger counters over them as well? They have, have, yeah, this. and yeah, 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 and the uh, also the 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 seeds are um, they're, they're genetically changed, I believe, on some of the crop circles when they analyze the seeds. Um, they have been sort of genetically are not modified but they're they're no longer what they originally were so whatever it is it's causing the the crop circle is also damaging the actual crop itself in some way but you know is that being formed from something external or is the actual earth itself forming those yeah or is something forming them and what is the message and what is the symbology is it the fairies? Is it UFOs? Are both of them exactly the same thing? And the more we look into this, I, I honestly am more inclined to group everything together into one thing that is a terrestrial phenomenon that we're dealing mm -hmm. with, as opposed to, you know, an ancient fairy folk that predates man, and then these creatures who have come from different planets around the the galaxy, you know, out from the universe to come and give us messages and stuff i just actually think it's all one of the same thing but we've just interpreted it as lots of separate things well the thing is as well is um could it be that they're the ultimate shapeshifters you know some people are described as diamonds and they will reflect back whoever they're with even to the point yeah. where sometimes they'll change their accent um i'm just wondering could it be that actually at the core it's all the one thing but we simply see it differently depending on what we expect to see. Exactly. A bit like it, <laughs> the clown, yes. Pennywise the yes. clown, you know, who he just changes into whatever you're yeah. most scared of, but he has the ability to change into whatever he wants. And, yeah. you know, it, it is an ancient type of alien, but he just changes into whatever you're you know, most scared of, which can be anything from a werewolf to a yeah. clown or, um, as you say. I mean, have you ever had that weird experience where, You've been with someone, usually on a romantic sort of interlude type thing, you know, you're, and you're in a dimly lit bar. You've had a few drinks 
and you look at their face and their face almost changes into something different. Yes. They, are, uh, they either become more attractive or they end up looking like someone else and not themselves. And it's only, it's only kind of, it's not shape-shifting in the full sense of the word, but psychologically, you're actually seeing something slightly different to what is actually there. Um, you're seeing what you want to see a lot of the time. Yeah. 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 So maybe it's, maybe, well, I don't know. Maybe they are what they are. And yet we kind of, how can I explain? I'm not putting this very well. I think it's back to, we see what we expect to see. It's like, um, what's that bias confirmation, is it called? There's a special term where people expect to see a particular piece of evidence in science and it pops up. And it's almost like we're programmed to expect to see a certain thing, you know. Mm. Um, But I, I want to know why our cultural idea of fairies, we still imagine them wearing sort of 18th century clothes. We still imagine them wearing the illustrations of Charles Perrault, of, of books that are, you know, a couple of hundred years out of date kind of thing. You rarely, you won't see um, a modern fairy in a hoodie. Maybe no. it's time we did. Maybe it's time we changed our expectation. Yeah. I mean, that would almost give them the perfect opportunity to go unseen and undetected yeah. purely on that yeah. basis. Because I mean, hang on, I've got to stop you here. How many really gorgeous girlies do you see you know really usually very very young and you think they've got a touch of the fae about them because i see them all the time particularly the ones who favor the dark eye makeup slightly gothy boho alternative look yeah and i've got do. to protect my credibility here so i can't say too <laughs> young i can't say too young however however 18 and over i must <laughs> i would say yes i have seen a lot of um fae looking girls who have that kind of very slight you know large eyes quite skinny and but then again you are talking about bodies you know, human bodies as well that aren't 100 percent developed they are slightly yeah. more slight and thin you know they mm-hmm. they've not developed into full women yet in the same way you get mm-hmm. sort of slight fae blokes as well you know very oh, skinny yeah. and a bit light on their feet um so, but yeah, you do you do see that. But are, what are you saying? Are you saying that they are possibly? Well, in my book, I say that they have fade bloodline, and there are an awful lot of people wandering around the planet, um, including uh, um, a friend of somebody I've started talking to in New York who claims to have fairy blood. And if you look at the photographs of this girl, yes, you can see why she'd think that. It's quite it's quite extraordinary to look at. You know, the huge, almost yellow eyes, on yeah. a slant. You know, a very, almost like her head's too big for her body because she is so mm. skinny. But it's not unattractive. It works. Almost like real-life manga, if I can put it like that. Okay, yeah, the anime, yeah, the anime yeah. characters. Now, there's another thing. Anime, don't they look like fairies? They certainly do to me, the way they yeah. draw the huge eyes, you know? And all these TikTok filters as well that are yeah. used to make your eyes bigger. I mean, obviously, it's used yeah. in all of the in the Disney animations. You look at Frozen. Yeah. They've all got very... The, the characters aren't fairies, but in terms of their look and features, they're very fain features, small upturned noses, large eyes, skinny well, bodies, that, big heads. That is because it is 
uh, we're programmed to find babies attractive, apparently. Right. Okay. And that is that. No, now, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't particularly. Toddlers. They're like I old think, men. Yeah. No, I think some toddlers can be absolutely just luminous, so so pretty, um, and that that's kind of how we're hardwired. But and we spoke about this before the broadcast. So certain things you can see right. Yes, I can see why big eyes and a large head and a little nose would be attractive because that's like a little child and little children are, you know, their lovely dewy skin. They just look fabulous. However, if we're going to work on sort of the way the human mind works, why on earth would a whole section of society have elected to invent stories of being abducted and losing time. It does not seem to have, I can't see how that hooks into the human psyche in quite the same way as the attractiveness of fairies does. I said, my question is, where has that come from? Because everything usually that um, forms an archetype or um, some kind of a a deep-seated meaning for humans, it's either to our comfort or something to be afraid of. Now, yes, okay, you could be frightened of being taken away, but being brought back and losing time, that just seems like a ridiculously complicated thing to invent. It you does. Know? It just, it doesn't seem to me to mesh in to any of our needs. You know, yes, horn of plenty, great. You can drink as much as you want and it's still full fantastic, you know. Um, there's there's uh, the horn of plenty with food in it. You know, eat as much as you want. It never finishes. You know, it's always there. There's all sorts of myths and legends, and it's you know even the crock of gold at the end of the rainbow. Yes, gold. I'll have gold. Thank you. But this losing time thing, it seems. I don't know. It seems an anomaly in itself. I can't see why that would be in, integrated into a story at all. So really, we've come a long way off the original subject of likening fairies and UFOs. But I think it's been a really interesting conversation. And I like the idea that perhaps the Earth is some kind of a portal for all the other creatures and all the other dimensions to come through. Because I Mm. think that's a wonderful theory. Um, It would explain a lot. (laughs) It would. I'm I'm very interested in the idea that whilst UFOs and fairies are so, aliens and fairies, let's say, rather, they're so similar, and yet we still insist that fairies are from in here and aliens are from out there. Yeah. I find that really interesting. And I'm wondering if that's where we're getting it wrong, in the same way that that Nick Pope said, whatever you think it is, it's not. It's something completely different. And I I think that would be more shocking as a revelation to the planet that aliens are in fact not extraterrestrial. They are in fact part of this planet. Yeah, they are. And they've been here longer than what we have. And the fact that we're probably more alien to the planet than what they are. And I think that would be more of a shocking revelation. What if we were the aliens and we're the ones who've colonized their world? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we've just been here so so long, we've forgotten our origin. Yeah. So I'm guessing that, All we have to do really is wait until the 25th and see if the US government is going to answer any of these questions with what they're going to release um, in their disclosure. Oh, come on, Dan, you're being a a bit naive, aren't you? Of course I I am. I used to work for the government. Of course I know they're not going to say anything. (laughs) How many times? They're going to give a politician's answer, which is full of nothing. 
course. Yeah, it will be. How many how many hopes have been dashed over the years? How many times have been told this is the time you'll find everything out, and then it just gets shoved in in a sort of a a drawer for another thirty years or something? I think the fact that they have done it, the fact that they have sort of pushed something forward, is one step closer than we have been in the past. Um, but as to whether it if will... it's a step in the right direction, though, and maybe it isn't, maybe it is this this misdirection thing. Mm. Let's keep our eyes. You know, it used to be watch the skies. Now they're telling us to watch the oceans. You know, why? What's going on in the sky? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I mean, watch everywhere from now on the the ocean and the <laughs> sky. Half of me likes to think I'm keeping my fingers crossed that it is something military because at least then. We don't have to contend with being invaded by aliens, but then right. if it is military, we could be invaded by the Chinese. So I don't think yes. I don't think there's a great outcome, whichever way it's going to go. No, I think you're right. Yeah, if it is if it is military technology and it's better than anything that any of us have got, then we need to be worried. And if it is a form of alien life form which is testing our military defenses then again that is something else we, we need, need to, to be, be worried we need to yeah. be worried and you know who knows wake up one morning there might be aliens flying around and fairies marching out of the woods and it's the end for all of us they want their planet back we've screwed it up enough and they're all going to gang up on us and get rid of us um, because COVID well, didn't we work. Have screwed you up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's no denying we we have messed things up really badly, haven't we? We have. Um, and supposedly there is still time to turn it around. And I don't know if that's possibly the biggest myth of all. Yeah. You know, we we uh we're being told this so we don't lose all hope completely. But looking at how the weather is now compared to the strange things that went on. I mean, there was weird weather when I was a child. Mm. No two ways about it. You had these odd times of things being strange. But the fact that all of the seasons have moved on a month in this country, that must take, imagine what it takes to move a season on. Mm. So summer is starting earlier now, spring starting earlier. But unfortunately, Winter is starting earlier as well and lasting longer. We've had one of the wettest uh, um, Mays, or was it April, but one of the wettest Aprils on record. Coldest as well, it was freezing. Yeah, Yeah. we've got crazy flash floods going on, but there we are. I mean, the beginning of 2020 was this doozy because you had all the terrific um, heat in Australia Mm. where you had gum trees spontaneously combusting which you know the heat that needed to do that is phenomenal it is really phenomenal yeah. and then we went on the covid it really was almost like seven plagues of egypt wasn't it 2020 yeah but there you are we, we almost, and maybe we almost live in a time now where reality is far too much to comprehend so something that is more fantastical would be a greater as as more of attraction i think to people at the moment yeah. so yeah which is probably why the this ufo disclosure thing is so popular because people are just sick and tired of real things uh they want it's some, reality yeah, yeah they want something I don't know that's, reality yeah that's yeah. going to stretch their imagination a little bit even if it is something just as boring as a new chinese drone that's zipping around the fact that it could have been something you know, from another dimension or another planet or the inner earth, who knows, uh, that makes life just a little bit more interesting for people. 
Talking about allegedly alien technology, though, another thing we mentioned before broadcast a few days ago was this idea of lifters, which I explained to you. um, These strange craft, apparently the Nazis developed. And so whether they had a captured UFO or what went on there, but lifters, for anyone who, who doesn't know what they are, if you have a look on um, Google, um, other search engines are available. They are a an ionocraft. Well, basically, it uses electrohydrodynamics to provide lift or thrust. So is it? You can't actually build one big enough yet to have a person in it. But certainly, I've seen them about six feet across, built out of balsa wood, and they will be a of a. Almost, well, it's a triangular design. They usually trail wires because they do need a lot of power. But basically, they, the electrohydrodynamics, they produce lift and thrust without requiring combustion or moving parts, which brings us straight back to this thing that hasn't got a heat signature. Mm. You know, is it there's some kind of iron-propelled aircraft? Yeah, And it's by disrupting the very elements within the oxygen molecules around it. That's what helps provide your lift. So I wonder if that's something to do with it. Could be. Could be. There's also the the Philadelphia experiments as well, supposedly, where a a Navy ship was made to disappear and reappear again. Right. Uh, Yeah, that was allegedly they used... um, magnets placed around the ship it was yeah and uh, um, was an einstein involved with that i think i that unfortunately it's a lot of conjecture there is yeah whether it's a grain of truth at the heart of that i don't know because it was made into a sensationalist movie it was and also a sensationalist book which i read where supposedly when the it was the uss philadelphia was supposed to have vanished and you could just see where she was sitting in the water mm. So it was a strangely flattened bit of water. And then allegedly when she, I'm doing, I'm waving little parentheses in the air here. When she came back, uh, crew members would be uh, in agony because they had sort of materialized halfway through. Yeah, they fused with the bulkheads. Yeah. 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 Um, But apparently um, I, my personal belief is they were doing experiments with very, very large electromagnets placed around the deck. But I believe what they did would quite possibly have affected the crew members Mm. because being near to any large magnet does not do your heart rhythm or anything, even your mental processes, any good. So I think if they were using sufficiently large magnets and people were within that magnetic field, I think their health would have declined significantly. Whether it happened over a period of time or not, I don't Mm. know. But I, I'm I'm not inclined to believe that putting a big magnet on a ship will make it vanish. I'm no, sorry, no. or even eight big magnets as they claimed, yeah. you know. So, uh, but it was it's an interesting idea, yet again, that's been smothered in layers of this sort of gunk of, of fiction, you know. So I think at the heart of it, something was done. Something did have a detrimental effect upon the crew. And next thing. Um, there's this sensational film. Yeah. And so, of course, you know, you wouldn't believe that could happen. But alas, the military, as you know yourself, have a long history of not t- treating their um, employees terribly well. No, no. Um, one of the classics was they, yeah, 
uh, on, I think it was, was it B-42? The later versions of the B-bombers had microwave radiation as part of their um, radar system. And they didn't switch them off when men were working on the plane. So these poor, you know, aircraft fitters were basically getting slowly cooked yeah. by microwave fried. energy. And they developed, they were getting fried, literally fried from the inside yeah. out. They developed horrific cancers, blindnesses, all sorts. Some of them decades after they actually worked mm. on the aircraft. Jeez. Um, and of course, because it was that far afterwards, they could not prove that that was the cause no. of it, you know. But I, I believe people tried to bring actions against it, but I don't think anyone ever succeeded. Not that I know of. I could be yeah. wrong. But um, no. so, as I say, you know, so that's that. But anyway, the, the idea of iron-propelled aircraft is really, really interesting. Um, this electrohydrodynamics, they call it EHD. Um, it's almost like it's almost like an electric car in the air, if you can imagine. Yeah. So, um, but if they could find a way of scaling it up without, you see, at the moment they still need to be plugged into a socket to work. Yeah, true. So yeah, um, it needs- when, yeah. So they're always going to be tethered at the moment. So unless you find a sort of um, a way of of using the electricity, you know, the, the static, the electrostatic that's already in the air, which allegedly the guy who um, built Coral Castle did. Um, we I spoke about him in an earlier episode. Again, please do look up Coral Castle because how one man moved all those things was quite extraordinary. Mm. But he spoke of an energy grid, which Tesla spoke of. Tesla said there was so much energy in the atmosphere that we did not need to mine coal to have power stations. All we had to learn was how to harness that. So it could be that these ships that emerge from the sea, actually, that's what they're doing. They're EHD machines floating on their ionic wind, as it were. Um, But that still will not explain how they're able to transition from air to water and water to air. Without any loss of speed. I mean, Tesla was hugely yeah. discredited anyway, wasn't he? Because I believe that they do think he was onto something that would have made the yeah. a lot of industries collapse. Um, yeah. You know, as you say, the fossil yeah. fuel industry would um, well wouldn't yeah. exist anymore if Tesla had gone ahead and completed a lot of the projects he was working on. Um, so who knows? Indeed. But yeah, could they? I mean, Elon Musk could be flying these things around. You know, he doesn't make the Tesla after yeah. all. So <laughs> who knows? Yeah, I think go. we're the first we're the so first from- fairy um, podcast in the world <laughs> that has covered not only UFOs, Bigfoot, uh, interdimensional craft, space propulsion, time travel, um, time slips. What else have we covered on this show? I think it's been a kind of a mixed bag of almost everything yeah. paranormal that we can think of yeah. at the time and sort of fop- goblins elves a 17th century priest yeah. um yeah all in the one program yeah purely spurned off yeah. the fact that the americans might be releasing some information on ufos in a few days time uh but it just shows it just goes to show how close related all of these things are and i know people like to cut pop- yeah and it also shows it also shows that how deep the rabbit hole is. Oh yeah, you could just keep well, going. Yeah, you not, could just keep going and yeah. going and going, and you could link a huge family tree of all these things together that would be would yeah. spread out infinitely in every single direction, and you would probably never exhaust it. I would have thought. No, no. We'll indeed. have to have another show um, in the future. Another, <laughs> another one of these. Uh, you know, kind of firing just 
just putting something into the mix and seeing where it goes because it's been it has been really interesting it's going to be interesting just to see how things do develop over the next months or years maybe who knows but you know maybe this will make sure well, maybe a step closer i'd like to say i'd like to say we're going to hear something that changes our worldview but I'm sorry, Dan. I'm not going to be holding my no, breath. No, no. I think I think we're <laughs> we're equally going to be as in the dark as we were, you know, now as we will be in, you know, five five or six years' time. Uh, but if there is something like that, the government are going to be no rush to let us know about it. No, it would be nice if there was another whistleblower out there somewhere, maybe even listening to the show, who felt like maybe opening a door in the darkness. Yes, it might lead on to more darkness, but. It would give us another room to wander yeah. into. So that would be really interesting. Yeah, it would. So I think that's it for this time. It is. is it I mean, not? on the on the next show, um, I have had um, a quite a few listener emails and photographs that have come through. I've not actually dipped into the the fairy podcast inbox for quite a while because I've for some reason I've not had it linked to my computer, so it's been completely neglected. And I've been in it and discovered that there are actually a few emails from listeners in there which we will cover on the next show. There's been a few photographs of potential fairy sightings and a few um, emails as well about fairy encounters. So we'll go into greater detail and have a chat about those on the next show. Excellent. So, well, thank you for listening and it's goodbye for now. And until then, take care. Goodbye. Subscribe via your favourite podcast streaming service and follow us on Facebook and YouTube. No, but it, as, as it does appear across both UFO phenomena and fairy stories or fairy, fairy folklore, it would lead us down the path of some form of interdimensional um, interaction, you know, or, or traveling between dimensions, which causes that lost time, which you know happens in both of those types of sort, you know, both of those types of instances. Um, you stop. You went absolutely like a robot. Then Do you want to check your. Yeah. yeah. Now you're yeah. sounding like a Dalek. Oh God. Okay. I got. I got a buzz on my my. Um, something's just. I don't know what's happened. My phone is off. Yeah. My yeah. Fitbit buzzed on my wrist, but there's no message. And then you started sounding like an alien. Okay. I still am like a Dalek. Dalek. Yes. Okay. Do you want okay. to just check the recording? Check you're coming out all right. Because I can hear you. I don't mind it. Yeah. Um, I, I think I it's going to be recording. Possibly, possibly me as a Dalek, Dalek anyway. Uh, 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 is it still Dalek now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got an echo. And an echo as well. Yes, and I'm smiling about that. That's really, really odd. Do you want to stop this and do another one? Yeah, yeah. We stop it and then we can come back. Okay. Invite me to another. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I'll do it now. I'll do it now. All right, I'll speak to you in a moment.